You know, it's outstanding just to hear the testimony of, of uh, Kath and Chris this morning of what's happened with their nephew and how his life is turned around. We were saying something in our authentic group, something I've been reminded of. I think it was Ed Silvoso who made this statement years and years and years ago, was that when you ask for the people that no one wants, God will give you the people that everybody wants. And when you're looking and saying, right, well, he's, he's got problems and there's addictions and there's this and there's that, you know that means work. You know, that means cleaning up the fish in big style. That means the times when they are great and the times when they let you down and the times when the wheels fall off the bus and the times when you get the phone call that says, can you come and pick him up from, you know, that kind of stuff. The commitment starts, his commitment started the day he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior. Our commitment started the minute we interacted with them. It didn't just stop at the sinner's prayer. That's where everything starts. And to see changed lives and see people transformed, that means your and my interaction and shared life. <laughs> that means yours and mine interaction and shared lives. It's the bit that we don't like. It's the bit when we just say, can't everybody be like the Apostle Paul that has a road to Damascus experience? They see Jesus Christ, they get up, and from that moment, they're full of the Holy Ghost and they're taken on the world. If only. If only. So, are we ready for a message of hope this morning? Are we ready for some hope? You know, you can live, it tells you, Chris will tell us better than this, being our resident Bear Grylls, that you can live without water for about, it varies, about three days, four days you can live without water. You can live without food for 40 days plus, but you know you can't live two minutes without hope. When you feel hopeless, it doesn't matter what you've got, it doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank, it doesn't matter who's in your family, it doesn't matter about the quality of your job, your home, how new your car is, when you have no hope, everything is amiss. It's like you stand there like Solomon and it's meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It says that hope deferred or lost hope makes the heart sick, but hope answered is to you like the tree of life. And we say, my God, Father, we need to be people and carriers of hope. You know, we talked this morning about being that pilot light. Do you have the pilot light of hope in you? You know, there is a term, I love the term, prisoners of hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's two sides to that. I'm a prisoner who needs hope. And I am captive and captivated by the hope that I carry. There's two sides to the one statement. So if you're ready, we'll come around the word. I want to tell you this morning that your battle is winnable. Your battle is winnable. Your situation is able to turn around. In 1 Samuel 22, is where we're going to be reading from this morning, verses 1 and 2 says this, David departed from there and escaped to a cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they went down there to him, and everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were in total about 400 men. Everybody in distress, debt and bitter of soul. What a Facebook group. <laughs> if you've got this bunch of people pinging you on Facebook and turning around and saying, can I be your friend? You know, the answer is generally No. But everyone in distress, in debt, and bitter of soul came to him. Oh, my Lord. Everyone in distress, in debt, and bitter of soul. What a happy bunch they are. They're sat there. Now, let's just think. We are not looking at an advert for DFS. There is no fancy sofas. There is no... Dolphin bathroom suite in the background. They're sat in the cave of Adullam. Life stinks. Everything's bad. And not only did I come with my situation, 
I came to meet your situation. Who's ever had it where you've had a conversation with somebody and you might have gone, do you know what, I've just been to the doctors. You need to go like that, just went to the doctors. No. You tell the story of you've just been to the doctors and you've been diagnosed with something or whatever, and the person you talk to goes, that's nothing. You need to know about when I went to the doctor. There's always somebody in the spiritual game of top trumps who's got worse situations than you. So you can imagine it, these nearly are around 400 men with everybody's story worse than somebody else's. So there's no escape from that situation. But the hearts of men need to change. There was a story that goes like this. It was of David Livingstone. He was already the missionaries in Africa. And it says of this that some of his friends wrote, we would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? Livingston wrote back, if you have men who will only come if there is a good road, keep them. I don't want them. I want men who will come where there is no road. If everything has to be on your terms, honky-dory, everything, the wind's in your sail, the sun's shining, there is no clouds on the horizon, you know nobody will move. General life is for you and me is that there are times when we're in distress, we're bitter of soul, and we're in debt. In different ways, it's not always honky-dory, is it? So let's just give you the scene of how David gets to be in the cave of Adullam. So if you look, you read through Samuel, you'll see this story in its entirety. David breaks onto the scene. He's the shepherd boy. He's the musician to the king. He's a battlefield hero pushing all the way through to become a fugitive, living his life on the run. And he makes his home in the cave of Adullam, where he is joined by a ragtag bunch of wherewithals. These people you do not want to associate with. Right, well, I think there's only me and John who's going to be honest about that. (laughs) Do you know what? There's, There's something about people, they're not all nice. And do you know what I say, some people, you know I'm talking about you, don't you? And when I'm talking about you, I'm talking about me. There are certain times in our lives where we're not the biggest fun to be around. And when you're going through a situation, will somebody stand with you? Now, there's a different coin to that, or side of that coin. When somebody else is going through a situation, will you stand with them? And remembering that sometime in your life, you were in distress, you were in debt, and you were bitter of soul. Things have to change. So all of these people have come to join David. So they come into that situation of everybody having a story to tell. Now I'm sure if we started here with Mel and worked all our way around, we've all got a story to tell, have we not? It might be a story that you don't want. Have you ever seen that program on BBC that says, who do you think you are? And they go into your lineage and they show you your family history, it's a good job they don't start with you and start stripping your life apart, and you'll go, oh, yes, well, Chris came from royalty, and Phil came from the bin man, and it's all these different scenarios, but we've all got a story to tell. And the issue is not what got you to the cave of Adullam, but what is going to get you out of that cave. If we're honest and put our hands on our hearts, we all have things to face. There are all our monsters under the bed. There are all our situations that we have to deal with, but it can keep us in the cave or we can find a way of changing our lives and coming out to be different. Of wealth. (laughs) You know you can be different, don't you? You know it doesn't have to be exactly the way it is today. Everything can change. So these men came. As we said, we don't need to expand what got them into that state. But we need to look at what will change them. Now, here's a statement that none of us really like, but I'll make it anyway, because it's me. Most churches are not new growth. They're not new Christians. They're transferred growth. They're people that have been in other churches before that come to you. And often when they come, they come with their issues, their problems that they never solved in their last place. And they come and carry that baggage with them and drop it into this environment. 
And when it's in this environment, my issues will clash and collide with your issues. We are called to be changed and we're called to be transformed. Instead of just going, if I don't like it, I pack up my bags, move somewhere else and call this place as home. See, there are various, various reasons why people don't change. There's three specific. One is, I don't want to change. We don't like that answer. We always think it's somebody else. We don't change because I'm actually happy where I am and doing what I'm doing. Do you know that? There are times when I stink, my life is upside down, I've got a rotten attitude, and I don't care. I'll, say, I'll shout it in church, I don't care. I'm here, and I couldn't give a stuff. I don't care. We've just sang the songs, we've made the declarations, we've had the table. I came in the way I came in, and I'm going out exactly the same way. Because at that moment in time, in that season in my life, I don't want to change. Now, I'll put my hand up. I'm sure you've all, me and Chris, you've all, the rest of you, got your hands in your pockets because you're never going to be honest enough to turn around and say, you know what, there's times in my life where me and God are not the best mates. Where I went left and he went right and I'm going to stay over here with my arms folded until he comes and finds me and he says, you can stay and rot. Because I've already been and found you. Your job now is to pursue me instead of me keep coming after you. If you're going to be immature and act like that, then you'll act like that, but it's your clock that's ticking. We've got little Tinks, Ruby. She'll have that moment where she thinks she's punishing you by going, right, well, I'm going to go and stand over here until you change. Because, Granddad, we're making bad choices. And I'm thinking, yes, darling, you are making a bad choice, but if you want to stand over there, at least I can watch the telly for 10 minutes without having to do something. <laughs> so she'll stand there and she'll, I'm sulking, I'm here, sulking. Have you changed your mind? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> right, well, I'm staying here. Good, can carry on. We get to the position of not wanting to change. Then there's the next group of people, they don't know how to change. They want to change but they don't know how. They don't even know where to begin. So if we just take the story from Chris and Kath with young William, William comes to the place of, I know life doesn't work, but I don't know what to do, and I don't know what to do to change. The third point is that we don't have a man in our life who can help us change. Oh, bottle gone. We don't have a man in our life who can help us change. Pastor Tony, last week, I thought I did a very good job in condensing the whole process of awakening love. Did he not? He spoke about awakening love before its time, the whole process of romance, the whole process of learning love language, etc. These things that we're talking about changing are exactly the same three questions you'll be asking yourself when it comes to awakening love. Be honest. I don't want to awaken love. Just because somebody else on your row is having a God moment and touching heaven did not mean that you feel the same way. Because again, when you feel like you're on one and you're going to teach God a lesson and I'm going to punish him, I'm not looking for love. I'm not looking for anything. I'm just there. We prayed about it this morning in the early morning prayer meeting. I can become cold and distant and not even realize that I am cold and distant. Do you know the last person to ever realize that you're backslid is the person who's backslid? Everybody else looks at what's happening in and around your life, may have concerns, may have conversations with you, but you're the one saying it's not me. I'm talking about somebody else. And again, I'm, I'll have to use this lady because she gave her own story about addiction and alcohol addiction. You're the only one who doesn't realize you have an addiction. At that time, you're just looking to feed your habit, to do what you're doing at whatever expense to anybody else. Blow the consequences if you've let people down, you've hurt them, you've lied, you've betrayed, whatever, because that is the behavior of addiction, isn't it? Everything is life is consumed by me. When I'm in my spiritual life and everything is about me, I am not looking for him. It seems like a nuts statement to make. 
how I can be in Christ, I can be saved, I'm going to heaven, but the one thing I'm not looking for is the one who gave me life. I'm looking for all my life outside of him. So we look for a way to change, yes? Let me tell you the great myth. So tell you the great myth? The great myth works like this. Me and Jesus will work it out. Do you know why it's a myth? Because you won't and because he won't. You and Jesus on your own will not work it out. You know, the Holy Ghost takes me and plants me into a local house, into a body where I bring my life and it brings its life. You are never there to be going, I am so smart, I'll live my life on my own. Even if we read the New Testament and it turns around and says, you have no man as a teacher, but you have the Holy Ghost. Great, if you are a man living in isolation on an island and there's you and the Holy Ghost, then he's going to lead you into all truth. When we live in the real world, we have other people that we interact with. I bring my life to them and they bring their life to me. Is that right? So let's break down the three areas of people in this group. Those in distress. They're still having issues on how to make life work. Now again, I'm not talking to you this morning, I'm only talking to me. We have problems when it comes to making life work. We seem to stumble and fall from one catastrophe into the next, whether it's relationships, whether it's financial, whether it's looking at things like uh, I make upside down decisions, whatever I do, it all seems to go pear-shaped. I fall into that area so often. And it always seems to be, well, it's just fate or it's someone else's fault. I never take responsibility of about what I'm doing, the decisions that I've made, why I just jumped into something, why when I walked into a store and they just turned around and said to me, said, don't worry, Chris, you keep that money in your wallet. Why don't you put that on credit? You can pay for it in six months. But in six months, my situation changed. And now I have to find money that I didn't have before, or I did have and I've spent. And I find that cycle of credit and get, debt goes round and round and round. And by the time I've paid my 200 quid, which is now 600 quid for my washing machine, the washing machine's already died. And I've had to go and get another washing machine on credit because I'm still paying for this one. And now I've got two washing machines going round and round good washing machines, aren't they? They go round and round. And I have that cycle that goes round of going, not understanding credit and how the instantly a situation that I thought was going to be a quick fix actually became a rope, a rope around my neck that'll kill me over a period of time. It's that slow death. You ever read the scripture from Judges that says the sword of the Lord and of Gideon? Yeah. There's two sides, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. I must do what I must do, and God will do what he must do. But as I partner with him and play my part, I allow my life to change. If I sit here all passive and just say, oh, it's all right, because Jesus loves me, everything will change, and he'll do all the work. I hope you've got a good pair of shoes on. Because you're going to be stood there a long time. In his grace and mercy, can he meet me? Can he change me? But does he look to partner with me and walk out my salvation with fear and trembling? Because yeah. it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. What about those in debt? We're in debt either through negligence or ignorance. Remembering those three points. I don't want to change. I don't care if I'm in debt. I remember a lady coming in the, in the church some years ago. And she said, do you know what? I've been turned down for this. I've been turned down for that. She had nearly £50,000 worth of debt. And she stood here and she made this statement to me on one Sunday morning. She said, the idiots at the bank have just sent me a credit card with 10 grand on it. Now she's already got all of this debt. I said, what are you going to do? She went, I'm going to spend every penny before they say no. I don't want to change. And do you know what the answer was? I can always have a voluntary agreement where all they're going to do is turn around and say, you can't have credit anymore, it'll take me a few years, but they write me debt off. Too easy. But what's too easy for debt is also too easy for many other things. I have easy relationships. I pick people up, I put them down. I never build actual depth 
to relationship in the first place. I'm never honest or transparent with anybody. I just kind of bump into them, have a meal with you, a drink with you, a disco with you, a snog with you, whatever it is, we bounce around. Hopefully it's not all the fellas. We're bouncing all around the different situations where everything just becomes so easy and we make different choices. We bounce around when we need to change. What about those who are bitter of soul? Some of the hardest people ever to deal with are the ones who trusted and then were let down. Because when you gave your life to someone, whether that is your mother, your father, a relationship in marriage, whether you were dating, it didn't go all the way, whether it was your best friend, whatever it was, when you trust and the other person lets you down, do you know how easy it is to start building a wall around yourself and then keep everybody at arm's length? The people around you, if you looked at them under a special kind of fill light, have tiny little round bruises all over them. Because that's why you keep everybody at arm's length with a barge pole. So I keep everybody away, and they've all got little bruises on them, because I keep pushing them away. When you've got that issue of the area of your soul... I start to look and deal just in the area of self-preservation. If I trust Chris, he'll let me down. Why? Because somebody let me down before. Chris is different than the person who let me down. But can I also let you in to a little secret, which is a big secret, that again, whether this is in church or in life, I need to tell you so you don't get hurt. Chris hasn't let me down. But if I get into a relationship with him, you know he's got the full ability and capacity to let me down. But I love him anyway. The same way that I can let him down. The issue is, what strength of relationship have you got that when it doesn't work, we can go back and fix it instead of just writing him off and you writing everybody else off around you? So easy. We don't want to trust again. Or again, is that just me? We don't like trusting. She let me down. She was a right cow. She was this, there was that. They're all the same. Never trust a man. Never trust a woman. Never trust any of the ones in between. It's all the different states that we get. But you know, there's something which is key when you look at this area of distress, debt, and those who were bitter of soul. David had more reason to be all three of those and carry the pain of it more than anybody who ever came to him. Have you ever thought about the story of David? The story of David, of why he should be bitter instead of seeing other people's lives change. Have you ever for a moment parked in the story of one Samuel when Samuel, the prophet, turns up at David's house? And he turns around and he says to his father, Jethro, bring your sons. And he brings his sons and he lines them all before him because he's looking for the successor that the Holy Ghost is going to tell him is going to be the successor to Saul. And he walks down the line and goes, David, Elijah, Paul, Chris, is there anybody else? Because if not, I've got this completely wrong. Oh, there is another. David, he is tending the sheep. Have you ever wondered why that when the man of history turns up on your doorstep, you're not invited? Samuel was so powerful, he is the first in scripture prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet of the nation. He's not just, oh, by the way, Jesus said he loves you. He is the prophet to the nation. He is the priest. He's the high priest. He is the one who's carrying out all the stuff. Now, he's not called the king because Saul was the first king in Israel, but he was the judge who overruled the entire nation. And that when you read scripture, it says, and the Philistines could not come across the border any time while Samuel sat on the throne. He has so much power, but yet when he turns around and he turns up at your day, you'd like to think everybody's invited, wouldn't you? David's left in the field. Do you think they're that bothered about the sheep that they haven't got somebody else to look after them? There is a reason why David is not invited. Because David is the son of another mother. 
The mother of David, according to history, is a lady called Nisbet. Historians will tell you that David was born through an affair with this woman. Psalm 51, verse 5 says this. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was not classed as family. It was that brother that no one talks about. Do you know we live in the days of extended family? My kids, her kids, our kids. It's, we live in extended family. But in these days, there was my sons and there was David. I think I might have been cheesed off. I think I, if I was David, I might have been cheesed off. That was already, they're all sat at home having a party. I'm sat out looking after some sheep that aren't even mine, that I'm not even inheriting because they're not mine. I'm not even classed as being one of the sons. He was betrayed and had broken promises from the king. Wealth and a future are yours to anybody who kills Goliath. Did Saul honor that promise? No. So he's left out, he's betrayed. He's falsely accused of treachery and treason against the king. He was physically attacked that when he was in the palace on more than one occasion, the king tried to stick him to the wall with a javelin. I'd like to think I'm having a bit of a bad day. My family don't like me. They make promises they don't keep. I'm being blamed for everything. And when I'm standing here doing my job of I'm the only person who makes the king feel any better, he then tries to kill me anyway. I might be cheesed off. He then becomes the fugitive. All the promise is the battlefield hero. He is the one who kills Goliath. He is, look at this, this is the hero. He's got all the stuff going on. But yet he now finds himself on the run because the king is immature in his own state and wants to, to see the end of it. He has the fear of uncertainty. The fear of uncertainty is this. David never fears for his own life, but he has concern and fear for those who love him and who are close to him. When you look at it, he takes his father and mother and takes them to a heathen king and says, will you take care of them? He's got the people that he loves around in his life that says, just being associated with me can cause you harm. Read the story. He goes to see the high priest and he's given the sword of Goliath and he's given bread from the table and somebody turns around and says, look at all of these guys. Well, all of these people betray me. This is Saul in his state. And he has all of the priests killed because they associated themselves with David. If anybody's in that cave and not in the best state... <laughs> It's David. Now, you might be having one of your spiritual moments this morning going, not me. I'm washed in the blood. I'm wholesome. Everything's all right. I, Phil, would be cheesed off. I don't even think I'd be in the cave. I'd be looking for my passport to see how far away from the land of crazy can I get. I would be running away. I would be looking at the journal of Jonah saying, right, how do you find a boat? How do you get where somewhere else is going to be? And if a fish comes and gets me, it's still got to be better than the life I've got. I'd be looking at my way out. But all those in distress, in debt, and bitter of soul come to him. Is that not a way of going, do you know what? When I've heard Mel's story, it kind of pales into significance. Insignificance, doesn't it? What's going on with me? You see, you think your life is not going very well until you meet somebody else. You know, when you're complaining about, oh, you know, I only had two weeks in Benidorm. Only had two weeks in Benidorm. And you go through how many times you've been out and how much you spent in the... Trafford Centre and you've done this, you've done that and the other and then you meet somebody in need with nothing, you kind of go shut up. There's a little word, a little man inside your head starts turning a crank that's closing your mouth all the time going just shut up because my situation in comparison to theirs is nothing. But you know one of the greatest attributes that David ever had was the ability to keep the battle and the trouble on the outside. If you internalize the issues that come along, you're finished. I'll tell you again, you're finished. 
and just in case you didn't hear it, you're finished. You must always keep the battle on the outside. Now, I didn't say you ignored it. I didn't say you stuck your head in the sand. Didn't say that you just walked away and just said, this is, it. This is mind over matter. I don't mind and you don't matter. It's not about that at all. But once you bring that problem on the inside, it eats away at you. Do you realize one point that you are so like God? I'm going to tell you this morning how you're so like God. You are omnipresent. You're always with you. You go to sleep and you're there. You wake up and you're there. You have your day and you're there. You're in a good mood and you're there. Think of good, bad or indifferent. You're always there. You're always omnipresent. But when you're in this position of the issues start to eat you away on the inside... It never leaves you alone. So you know these two parts of your brain, don't you? Not, don't think that I'm trying to be smart. I'm not. Somebody told me this. Two parts of your brain. You've got the front part and the back part. Now, in the front part, I might be using for doing minor tasks and working around. But all the time in the background, this back bit is processing. And it's processing issues. It's processing. It's thinking of... Because, again, none of you have done this. You're just thinking, right, I've got a problem with Dave. And when I see him, I'm going to give him a right piece of my mind. So this is washing the pots. He's doing a bit of telly. He's taking care of the kids. He's doing all the stuff because it doesn't matter about this front bit. But this back part is planning Game of Thrones big style how it's going to dethrone Dave when I see him. Now, tell me that none of you sat there and planned exactly what you're going to say when you meet Fred, Billy, Dave, put any name here. You're going to see him, and then he's going to say this, and I'm going to respond with that. Then he's going to get smart, and when he gets smart, I'm going to go, yeah, yeah. And then I've got my special ace card that I can pull out and go, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah? All of this goes on, but that's just one issue of me saying I'm going to have a row with Dave. The difficulty has, and again, don't think I'm know what I'm talking about I don't in this stage but I do in this bit there is a whole thing called sympathetic dominance and the sympathetic dominance is that when I allow things to work on the inside of me it destroys much of what I am it will take away my immune system it will cause me to always be tired it causes me to have migraines. It causes me to be in a situation where my bowels don't work properly. I get IBS. I get bunged up. Things don't work right. All of this is sympathetic dominance because what that means is when your body lives in a state of fight or flight. So when I've got an issue and it's eating me away, all I'm concerned about is that issue. And I want to fight. I want to get it resolved. And you know the worst bit? I've got to resolve an issue with Dave. And it's all there, and I'm ready. And Dave goes, no, I'm not talking about it. Do you know how even more frustrating that is? Because I'm ready to deal with all this, but Dave doesn't want to know. Now, can you imagine it if you're living with Dave? The issue is never getting dealt with. Everybody's walking around on eggshells, and at any time... We could have literally, pardon the pun, all hell break loose. Yes? All of those situations. So if you imagine, there's nearly 400 situations that can blow up at any one time because these people are in debt, distress, and bitter of soul, all in one environment, all waiting for somebody to light the blue touch paper and stand well back. We've seen it, and no doubt, <laughs> we've caused a few. <laughs> the battle's got to be kept on the outside. See, Saul was completely different to David. Saul was a wounded soul. If you follow and have people in your life who have a wounded soul, there will be trouble ahead. I'll tell you again. There will be trouble ahead. You know when you think, I've heard this so many times from ladies and from men. Paul's a bag of washing, but I can fix him. I'll fix him. I'll turn her around. You think that you're so smart when the other person comes to you with so many issues, you're going to turn into Jeremy Kyle. 
you're going to come into Aunt Mary or wherever it is, the greatest agony aunt, and you are going to fix all their problems that they've had for 20 years. You're going to have one conversation, look into their eyes, buy them a glass of uh, whatever, Prosecco, and all the world's going to change. It's not. When you're in that situation and someone's a wounded soul, something needs to be worked out. And generally, we're not smart enough to do it. Just look at one situation from Samuel 1, 18, 7. It says this, And they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Now, if I was the king, I might be thinking, this is a good thing. This is something to celebrate. All the guys have noticed that I scored a goal, but Eric scored a hat-trick. So what? The team won. What do you go, hang on a minute. Why is the morning paper saying Eric scored a hat-trick? What about my goal? All he does is reveal his own state that goes, right, I'm rewriting, we're having fake news now. I scored a hat-trick and only Eric scored one. We've turned it around. It's a reflection of Saul's own heart that he could not celebrate with somebody else. So let's ask ourselves another awkward church question. The awkward church question goes like this. When Chris and Kath got up this morning and they started to share about repairing walls and how their nephew came in and gave his life, who first responded with, amen, hallelujah, that's absolutely fantastic, or that's good for you, what about my lot? We'll leave that one to you. But it just helps you find out, can I celebrate with somebody when they're celebrating even when I've not got what they were brought into. Maybe it was a child, maybe it was a finance, maybe it was a job, maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, is my first point of contact. Fantastic, Eric. Or, yeah, good for you. So I've said the same thing, but in two completely different ways. Fantastic, Eric. Good for you. See, there's a different way of saying good for you. Good for you, Eric. Yeah, good for you. Tone is everything, and that tone will often reflect what's going on on the inside. Saul's life was just reflected in his own insecurities and his own jealousies. Well, the thing works like this, because it's great. I love the story of David. There's so much that you can learn from it. Do you know when the story tells you this, that David killed the lion and the bear to make sure that the sheep were taken care of? Now, we've already said it's not his inheritance, but he was trusted with something that he was willing to lay his life down for. But you know, Scripture is never vague. Scripture is never vague. Why would it turn around and say that David fought the lion and the bear? It doesn't just throw it in to make him some kind of superhero, and that if we're having Saturday morning cartoons, put, put the bit in where he fought a lion, put the other bit in where he fought the bear, because life's a bit boring. In Proverbs 28, 15, it says this, like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked ruler over poor people. Like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked leader over poor people. The situation that David had to learn, even as growing up as a boy, is this situation of how will you deal with somebody else? Will you rule over them? Will you be rough with them? Are you going to abuse them? Or are you going to see something change? Saul also learned a massive lesson. Or should I say, David learned a massive lesson. That if he reflected or responded to Saul the way that he needed to be dealt with, he too would become a Saul. Because here's that bit again. You know, we've all got that wonderful thing called human rights. Have we all got human rights? And we all know that allegedly, we've all, well, allegedly, alleg, right, put the allegedly term on it from, from Chris. Allegedly, we all have human rights. Whether they are nuts is not an issue. We all have human rights. So David, you and I would be fully, okay, not even you. I'll go back to Phil. Phil would be fully justified that if you try and punch him, he's going to punch you back. Oh, you don't like that, do you? Scripture says turn the other cheek. It says who? Scripture says turn the other cheek. I'm not going to stand there like a numpty while you beat me up. I've said to you in the past that if you want to hurt me, you don't hurt me by attacking me. You hurt me by attacking those that I love and that I surround myself with. But that's when the roaring lion might come and get you because I might be able to take a punch on the chin 
But if you use the wrong behavior or you attack that which I love, you need to know that at times this dog has teeth. They might be getting old and they might snap every now and then. But this dog still has teeth. Okay, we'll move on past that point. We have issues, every one of us. We are still people. We're being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Yes? David would have felt, if I'm David, fully justified, that if you've not on one occasion, it's not like you fell over walking for a cup of tea and I just had a a spare and it went, oh, sorry about that, Paul. (laughs) We almost had a moment. I'm trying to pin him to the wall. I might fully be justified of pulling out my penknife and letting him have one or two. Again, don't you ever put yourself in stories? Do you never put yourself in Bible stories? I put myself in Bible stories. I've done everything. I've been on Noah's Ark. I've been in... I have. I was cleaning up. What a job. I've been on Noah's Ark. I've been one of the apostles. I've been the disciples. I've been Zacchaeus in the tree. I've been the man who was healed. I've been the woman with the issue of blood. I've been all sorts. I've put myself in that story and thought... What must it have been like to be here? I'm Mr. Ben. This is it. I never get to keep the hat. But the issues that we have, let's, let's move on because I can digress very easily. All these people came to David in the cave. So we talked about distress in debt and bitter of soul. But the question that we have to ask is it's not how you entered the cave, but how you left the cave. History starts to tell us how these men's lives were turned around and transformed because of, the, because of the life that they shared with David. What was in him and on him caused their nature to change. You know, the biggest thing, which is fearful and a real travesty as far as I'm concerned, is that when you get the list of David's mighty men and the people that were with him, none of his own family were involved. Because you'll always be somebody's little brother. You'll always be the one who's never given the right kind of status that you should have. You're not given the credit you should have. It's always just Kevin. It's always just Dave. It's always just Lisa. You are just. These are the same guys that turned around and said to David, you cheeky sweep. Mancunian term. You little cheeky sweep. You've only come to the battle to watch. You never came to fight, you only came to watch. If I'm David, being smart aleck as I am, I'm going, what battle? Aren't they stood over there and you stood over here? There's nothing actually happening apart from he shouts at you and you shout back at him. There is no fight. The ones who said you only came to watch were the ones who watched him get into the fight and turn the nation around. You'll always be somebody else's little brother, won't you? But natures need to change. In Ephesians 4, 28, just changing tact, it says this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. You must work and do something useful with your hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So let's just take, again, Catherine's nephew. He comes along. You were this and you were that. But now you need to change. The whole process is changed so that you can help someone else out of their same state. You know that once this guy's life is turned around, once it's cleaned up, once he's been connected properly to the house and to Jesus Christ, you know there's no one better to talk to somebody in addiction than the man who just came out of it. said, I was in the same hole as you and it turned around for me and if it can turn around for me, it can turn around for you. The biggest issue that we have in church is that people get turned around at that state and we don't know what to do with them. Well, that went quiet. We don't know what to do. Messy people come in and we don't know how to transform them, to befriend them, to trust them. You know, some of these people have never been trusted for years and you trusting them with something simple can blow all of their circuits. Again, like we said, you get the cave of Adullam, it doesn't tell you how these men got into the state they got into. All it was is that they changed en route. Now, let me tell you something that is, for me, is awesome. And for me, is a great hope, not only to you, but to other people. The Dream Center is created to be a cave of Adullam. 
It's created to be a place where people with no hope can come in, have hope restored, their natures changed around so that they can go out and be different, that they can bring hope, life, and transformation into their environments and to the people that they meet. I don't need to turn around and introduce Kevin. It's not, but I'm introducing Kevin. Oh, this is Kevin. He's, the, uh, he's an ex-drug addict. Here's Dave. He's an ex-alcoholic. Here's, well, I won't say what you were. It's, <laughs> we can't go that far down. It's Sunday morning. It's before the watershed. We have all of these issues that go around. Why am I always referencing you at what you used to be rather than what you are and what you can be? The situation changes. But when you wear a badge that says, I am Lisa, ex-alcoholic, you're naming it. I didn't. That was my old nature. That was my past. I've been forgiven, cleansed, set free. I am moving forward in that. Don't keep allowing your past to be your reference point. Lives change at that place called Adullam. Let me tell you something really quickly. Second Samuel 21, 15 to 17 says this. There was war again and the Philistines in Israel. And David went down together with his servants and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary and Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants who speared away 300 shekels of bronze and whose arm with a sword thought to kill David. But Ashiah, son of Zariah, came to his aid, he attacked the Philistine and killed him. And David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest the, you quench the lamp of Israel. Battle goes like this. Remember, quick, brief history. David, the shepherd boy, goes out. He goes to fight Goliath. He takes how many stones from the river? Five. He puts five stones in his bag. He takes one stone out to kill Goliath. Why did he have five stones? Because there were still four other giants who lived in the land. And he says, if I take down Goliath, I'll take the rest of you. I like that kind of, I like that kind of attitude. Come and have a go if you think you're out enough. My dad's bigger than your dad. I like all that. He doesn't do it. This is the first instance where one of the giants who turned around and said, you killed my brother, I'm coming looking for you. You must have seen it in the films on telly. Film on telly, and it's like, I've got an issue. And you see him on the battlefield. It's all going on. And my eye catches Paul's across the, the battlefield. And he's like, you're the one I'm looking for. And the fighting is like a jab there and a punch here and an elbow there. Because you're my target. This giant, Ishbi Beneb, comes, I'm taking you out. And David is in a situation, for whatever reason, where his strength is waning and the giant's getting the advantage to kill him and up steps David and takes out the giant. He takes out the giant. Now, the name of the giant is significant. Ishbi Boneb means this, the one who takes away breath. When you're in a situation in your walk and you're taking body blow after body blow and you're being knocked from one side to another, you just feel like these times I can't go on. I've been winded. Anybody ever watch a boxing match? If you see boxers, boxers don't fight like kids in the playground, do they? Don't fight like that. Unless you're Conor McGregor. You don't fight like that, but they put up their guard, and what do they do with these? Tuck them in. Why do you tuck in your elbows? Because there is one part of your body you can never train for. It's your short rib. And if you get a hit or a blow on your short rib, it instantly wins you and takes you out. That's why sometimes you can see a boxer, they get a little jab and they drop down because there's nothing that you can do. And this giant is the one that says, I'm going to hit you in the place where you have no protection. But a man who was saved and trained by David was the man who came to his aid. Yeah. 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 David raises these men 
Now, he doesn't tell you in Scripture, is he one who was in distress? Is he one in debt? Is he one who's bitter of soul? He saw David in trouble and puts all of his strength and himself in danger to rescue David. Brucey bonus for you. Brucey bonus, who was it who told David not to fight anymore? His men said, the men of Israel said, no longer will you go out and fight with us unless the lamp of Israel be extinguished, put out, you're going to die. Did God say that? So David's job of leading the army and being on the front line, he ignored. So then he found himself a new hobby. It's called window shopping. Because when David should have been fighting, he's now been told by his men, don't you come anymore. I'm now stood on my balcony with my binoculars out, peeping Tom at Bathsheba. Now look how much trouble I have got myself in because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. My men said don't come. God never gave him the command not to go. And he gets himself in so much trouble. So we deal with those body blows. But I want to make one statement to you this morning about this guy who comes to help David. That is this. Don't blend in when you've been made to stand out. Your life has changed and transformed to be like him. And as you come to be like him, that is not a time to hide yourself or your light under a bushel. The time when you've got to stand, stand. Let me tell you very quickly, I'll just condense this, the dangers of an unchanged life. Because we're talking about these people who went in one way and they came out differently. One point, there is no scriptural reference of a Bible study, an authentic class, a counsellor's workshop, or any time when these people had an appointment to lie on the couch and deal with their issues. They dealt with their issues en route with somebody who was emotionally stable. They saw a life and they went, this is what I am, but I want to be more like you. We've made it so everything is a counselling class. We made everything of five points to victory, Veronica. Take these five points. Like a prescription at the doctor's. Take these five points three times a day. Just keep doing that and your situation will change. Can I have five points and change my life? Yes, yes, I can. Keep nodding. Yes, I can have it, but a life as iron sharpens iron, so sharpen one another. If I'm around somebody who's emotionally stable like Chris, the more I'm with him, the more that his stability will deal with my instability, and I become more like those I spend my time with. I love the proverb, lay down with dogs and get... You ever had a dog or a cat that's got fleas? You don't want it, do you? Do you know what? You can see we've got a dog. The dog's only this big. I don't even think you can class it as a dog. I think it's somewhere. I'm not even sure it made the ark. But there is this thing this big. You can find one flea on that dog instantly. It starts, doesn't it? Ruby can come home from school with that magic letter... The magic letter goes like this. We just need to inform you that somebody in Ruby's class, Dave, has been found with some extra friends. So we advise you just to uh, observe and make sure. See, we like the old days when we had Nelly the knit nurse. We liked it when the knit nurse used to come in. You didn't like to be the one the kid who was dragged out and going, you better go and tell your mum and dad to dip your head in TCP or whatever it is. But you get told instantly got these friends so I'm only reading a letter (laughs) you know it's just it all goes on doesn't it you get it all in place but meanwhile back at dangers of an unchanged life Acts 8 we're jumping away from David Acts 8 Simon the sorcerer 
Now, it tells you this. This is a very powerful piece of scripture, if you read it, from Acts 8, 10 to 11. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God, capital G not lowercase. This is a man who represents God. They followed him because he had mazed them for so long with his sorcery. Verse 13, Simon himself believed, because now Philip comes along, the one that's greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Philip turns up, Samaria's being turned around, he sees the signs and wonders that Philip's performing. It says, and, and Simon himself believed and was baptized. So what did he do? He believed and was? Okay, right. So he believed and baptized. So he's one of us. Is he one of us? He's believed and baptized. Okay. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and wonders he saw. So he's moved by, they call me the great power of God, but when I see what you're doing... You put to shame what I am. We could have a full morning about dealing with dodgy issues, but we won't. So the scripture continues. Verses 18 to 22. When Simon saw, because now Philip's been around. Philip the evangelist, he's been around and he's working. Benny Inn's been in town. All these people are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, but they need the apostles to come in and sanction what's going on and give it the thumbs up seal of approval. Yes? And when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you're, you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you of such things in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I believed and I was baptized. Yeah. So what? So what? I run out somewhere and I say, Dave gives me the message and I go, brilliant, yeah, I want that Jesus. Yeah, 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 I'll believe, yeah, I'm believed. Right, brilliant. I must now have a repentant life that causes the internal and the external to marry up. He had an external nature that allowed him to be around that Philip didn't pick up. But as soon as he opens his mouth, the apostle goes, you're exactly the same as you used to be. You still are being driven by the old nature. And the greatest statement that we can ever have in church, which is that thing that comes to all of us, in church, so many of us don't change, we learn to adapt. So if I'm in church, I do the, the church things. I stand up, I sit down, put my hands up, put my hands down, put my hand in my pocket, take my hand out of the pocket. I do church life, but when I go outside, I'm exactly the same as them. Both natures have to marry up, don't they? <laughs> there should have been a yes there. <laughs> Both sides of what I am need to marry up. So let me just conclude with this. To allow your battle to be winnable, just a couple of quick points. First, recognize you need to change. Second part of that, then change. I can sit there all day and go, do you know what? I need to lose two stone. <laughs> Whilst biting on another Greg's pasty. We've sat there with my 17,000 calories bottle of Lucasade going, do you know what? I need to lose two stone. And then carry on feeding the monster. Mon monster the, the monster. If I'm going to lose two stone, go and lose two stone. And shall I let you into a tiny secret? It's not a big, it's not a big secret, but I think it is a big secret because it gets lost. Do you want to lose some weight? Yeah, well, Chris, me and Chris, we're going to lose some weight. Eat less and move more. Eat less and move more. And you're moving more doesn't mean 
from the sofa to the fridge <laughs> to the sofa. Because we've all played that game, haven't we? It's Friday night, it's Saturday night, I'm a bit bored. I'm not even hungry. And I've got the munchies. I'm not even doing cannabis and I've got the munchies. And I'm sat here watching the telly, X Factor's on. I'll exercise, I'm going to the gym. Open the fridge, close the fridge, open the fridge. Take out the contents of the fridge, whether it's milk, cheese, biscuits, whatever it is. As we've already heard this morning. Secondly, find a man who can model a changed life, who has wisdom and skill, who can help you change. Oh, by the way, this man who needs to help you change must also be a man who can connect you to God. There is an awful lot of self-help that you can get outside of church, and a lot of it is good. Oh, no. Phil just said there's something outside of church, which is good. There's a lot of help that people can give you outside of church, which is good. But if a man cannot connect you back to God, there will still be a void that you will continually fall in. Never look for a one-sided sword. I fix everything naturally, but there's no spiritual part to me. Or I'm a spiritual nutcase, and I've got no natural ability to be able to deal with the real world. Oh, I'm great, because we roll out Dave when we've got special meetings on, and he turns into Mystic Meg, and it's, ooh, it's all going, and I'm throwing salt around, and it's all going here, I've got a word for you. Ooh, something happening in the spirit. There's a man-woman, could be a woman-man, it could be anything, you could be black, white, green, or in between. And we do just general throwing out, we just got him fully into mysticism. Please. I need both aspects of my life. I need to be naturally sound and of sound mind. And I need to be spiritually sound and sound mind. See, we come into church and we think that whole life went away. So I just ignore that life and I'll just be churchy. You know, when you're churchy, everybody thinks you're nuts. I'll just let you know, you're nuts when you're just in church. You're nuts when you only ever meet church people. I go to meet Jenny there, Jenny at the bus stop. So Jenny, I... I'm redeemed, purchased, bought of the lamb, washed in the blood. It makes sense here. But when I'm talking there, you're a nutcase. Jesus, it tells us, was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He could talk, he could interact, he could deal with anybody at any level without compromising himself. He didn't come up, he said, he shouted, he shouted uh, Zacchaeus out of the trees. Hey, Zacchaeus, did you hear the one about the Englishman, Irishman, and Scotsman? He, he didn't. But he's in a position where he can interact and he's got the wisdom and counsel to be right foot or left foot. That when I'm in church, I reflect God 100%. When I'm outside of church, I still reflect God 100%, but I'm not wearing my Frico hat. Learn that there's nothing wrong with carrying the desires of another man's heart. When these men had been around David for a while, you just get the picture that David sat there, or he stood, he's got one elbow on a brick wall, and he's looking out and said, Joe, wouldn't it be fantastic to have half a shandy from that little beehive in Jolston? His men heard the desire of his heart. He's not, he's not a command. Paul, get over to the beehive and get me half a shandy. Wouldn't it be good, you know, just to have a drink from that well in Bethlehem? And his men tells you they fought through the enemy to get to the well, to get him a drink, to bring it back and went, just because it was a desire of your heart. You didn't ask it. I just heard your desire. And, you get, and what does David do? He has to pour it out on the floor as an offering. He went... I can't say, you risk your life for my whim. Learn to transact with the same God of the David in the cave. Because the same God that dealt with David is the same God who will deal with you. You know, Pastor Tony and the leadership, we've been talking for quite a while now about this whole place of finding him under the apple tree, learning to romance, learning to be different. As we said very quickly this morning, the whole key to this is that as you find the Holy Ghost, 
He will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into intimacy. He'll lead you when scripture says, and find out what pleases the Lord. He will reveal to you what pleases the Lord. We want to look in all the wrong places for the answer that's obvious before us. There's a statement that I wrote just on the end. Everything's closed, finished. The statement goes like this. Everybody dies, but not everybody lives. Everybody dies, but not everybody lives. It says of those men, talking of the 30 or the ones that came after, it didn't say that every single one of the 400 did mighty exploits, but their lives changed. The issue is that when you meet a God who transforms you, it gives you the ability that when somebody turned around and said, Jules, there's no hope for you, that's it now. Life's closed down at Lancasterian. You're not going there anymore. You've got DCM. You know what DCM is, don't you? Don't come Monday. <laughs> if you've ever had a DCM, how demoralizing that can be. It can be anything that can change, a financial situation, a company's relocating, anything. What that does internally to you when we say, David, your services are no longer required, You've been faithful, you've been good, you've not on the sick, you're not taking the mickey, you're not doing anything. Says, Jules, your life wasn't over. David, your life wasn't over. Kevin, your life wasn't over when a DCM came. Just a new opportunity, a new speed bump in the road and an opportunity to do something different. You know, Jules has now got an opportunity to do something in life that maybe she would never have done if this door hadn't closed and another one opened. Amen? So let's just stand to our feet. Hopefully you've picked up that sense this morning of the hope of saying that David was beyond help himself, but when the people came to him, he still saw that he had a responsibility to be himself in God, and being himself in God caused other men to change. Yes? So come on, church, let's just raise our hands just for a minute, just as we close. Firstly, let's just make that statement and again, just thank God that as he's answering prayer for William, for William this morning, we pray not only a hedge of protection in these formative days, but whether it's Chris or Kath or somebody else coming alongside of him can help him in these early transitional stages and that he's not dragged back into that old life. Amen. So come on, let's just seal William. Let's just take a minute. Lord God, Father, we pray right now for William in the Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you for the way that you orchestrated that situation to have him around. And Lord God, Father, we pray that there is clarity, there is sanity in his heart and his spirit. That, Lord God, Father, we pray for that old nature of addiction, that it won't drag him back in, Lord, in Jesus' name. But we break the tie of addiction right now. That, Lord God, Father, where, Lord God, Father, he's chasing after something. There's that taste. When he's looking for the taste, Lord God, we pray you break it off right now in Jesus' name. That, Lord God, break addiction right now, Lord God, and set his life in you. Set him in that new place. And Lord God, Father, we pray for every life that's represented before you this morning, every life here, every family, every priest of every home. Lord God, Father, we pray whether we've been in distress, whether we've been in debt, whether we've been bitter of soul, Lord God, I pray that there will be full nature changes, Lord God. Father, I pray we'll no longer adapt, but Lord God, there will be change right now in the Holy Ghost. Lord God, I pray before me is men and women of renown. Men and women, Lord God, Father, who will do great exploits for you. Oh my God, Father, we thank you. Isaiah says, I and the children who the Lord has given me are made for signs and wonders. Lord God, I pray for a generation to rise right now. Let a generation rise right now, Lord God. Even by the power of my voice as we speak it out. Lord God, let there be a transformation. Let there be a change in the hearts of men and women. That, Lord God, we will no longer be known by our old state. We'll no longer have our address as being what we were in the cave. But, Lord God, our new address is outside of that cave. It's in hope, it's in life, it's in thoughtfulness, it's in breakthrough, it's in change, it's in transformation. Lord God, Father, I pray, give us the ability to have a right hand and left-handed sword where you touch us in the Holy Ghost and you touch us in the natural, Lord God. That, Father, whatever environment we're in, we can reflect you. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 Amen.